In this episode, Andrew talks with Bill McCluggage. Following a career as an engineering officer in the Royal Air Force, IT director of Harland and Wolf Heavy Industries, as well as roles as Deputy UK Government CIO, the first Irish Government CIO, CTO for EMC Systems, and the CIO and CRO for the Northern Ireland Civil Service. Bill established his own business and has worked for a range of public and private sector clients. Bill was also Head of Information Security, Assurance and Counter-Fraud at the UK's Open Banking Implementation Entity. Currently, Bill is Non-Executive Director with FCDO Services, a trading fund within the Foreign, Commonwealth and Development Office. He is a Director of Triangle Housing Association, where he is a Chair of the Audit and Risk Committee, a Non-Executive Board Member of the Australian data security company Cocoon Data and a CISO Advisor for Tanium a US cyber security software company. In 2022, Bill became the director and chairman of the NI Island Fraud Forum. More recently, Bill joined the council of the University of East Anglia and is chair of their audit committee. Bill is a fellow of the BCS and a freeman of the Worshipful Company of Information Technologists in the city of London. Welcome to What the Privacy. Now, the last podcast, I had some feedback to say, for goodness sake, take more time on introducing your guest, which, of course, this week is Bill McCluggage. And also, Andrew, make sure you have a more of a slower ending. So before I launch into introducing Bill, at the end, I'm going to ask you a question. And it's a rather childish question. And all I want you to do, Bill, is answer it truthfully. I don't need to prevaricate. It's a rugby question. Now Mackay from Topsec Solutions will be smiling. Particularly, I'd only ask this question after this weekend because I feel more comfortable because England just scraped past Wales. That's when we know that uh, we'll be ending the call. Anyway, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Bill McCluggage, who I, he's been a customer, he's been a colleague, and I, I call you a friend, if that's correct. Yes. I've known Bill for a few years. Bill has a long history, a longer history than me, I think, in cybersecurity, IT security, as we used to call it. I originally knew Bill through the Foreign and Commonwealth Development Office for an Australian crypto file sharing company. And also I did do some work with him and um, speak to him quite often. Uh, his involvement in the open banking implementation, which was pretty big in the UK. So if I carried on going through your resume, Bill, it would take about 20 minutes of this 25-minute podcast. As one final thing you might not know about him, and I did check this out, I did Google it, I know he's a DJ, and is it Radio Cracker? Yeah, it's Radio Cracker. Well, well thank you very much indeed for the opportunity to come on board, uh, Andrew. And after that uh, erudite description of what I've done, I just feel like a, a knackered old fart, really. I, I, I would never, having known you uh, for so long, uh, consider you to be cynical in any shape or form. Not, as I say, because you do have that capability to analyse certain pers perspectives on cybersecurity and on IT security and just uh, and just bring it down to the what people can understand. Now, I've had a, a fairly long career, moved from aerosystems engineering right the way through into IT and then from IT into cybersecurity. Now, I'm, I'm sort of focusing a little bit more on the 
the outcomes. You know, people talk about, oh, well, we have to secure items. We have to make sure the perimeters are secure, the defenses are in place. And actually, in many instances, uh, it's the outcomes that affect human beings. So it's fraud. It's the uh, the damage that's done to reputations. It's a whole series of things that the nasty guys are uh, and girls are are perpetrating. So you know, data privacy is is one aspect of it, and it's exceptionally important. And it's more down to the human side of the business rather than you know we can spend lots of money on on the technical measures, but actually when it comes down to it, it's it's about your own the impact it has on you as an individual, that you don't want to be bombarded by spam. You don't want to be bombarded by uh, nasty uh, hackers with uh, phishing emails. But ultimately, whenever your data is released out there, that's the outcome. And the outcome can be quite uh, insidious, uh, pernicious even, in terms of the losses and, and stuff that's going on. Because at the early stage of it, you know, the kill chain, as we call it, that uh, observation, that reconnaissance is being done for a, a, a nasty purpose. Do you think that the proportion of the population understand that? Or we're no, just blind, I, the, we're blindly walking in? With do, you need to know how, do you need to know how a tin of beans gets on a supermarket shelf? No. No. You, 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 you know, we we t we tend to us we tend to make this as technical specialists. We tend to go overboard in terms of should people understand it? No, they shouldn't need to have to understand it. They should be protected. You know, you just have a look at what's happening with Meta at the moment and the the oversight board's decision that you know with AI that actually it's fine to to do this stuff. It is AI generated and 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 they have no they don't seem to have any responsibility. It's all it's almost like the gun lobby. You know, we manufacture guns. It's not us that does it. It's somebody else who uses them. Yeah. So it's it, it's almost back down to 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 that responsibility of the the vendor or the channel cat carrier. You know, what, where do the telecommunications industry take responsibility for the fact they're delivering these nasty pieces of phishing? Uh, email because they could turn off a lot of the sites that these originate from. So going back to your bean analogy, yeah. do I read the ingredients? I do because I'm a celiac, but do I read the ingredients on the size of Heinz beans? It's like if Meta is selling a product and you sign up to it, do you read the terms and conditions? No, you don't. So we, we had a student um, working for us as work experience and she was 16, 17. She's brilliant. And she's too savvy actually and she said that it's down to the individual to say that if i'm signing up to something i must be aware of what data i'm giving away or what i'm allowing that company to look at so you're saying that is meta's responsibility you sign up to it you don't need the terms and conditions like tiktok and they make hay well, if if I, I use people who know me know that I use a lot of analogies, but I, you know you go into McDonald's these days and you get a cup of coffee and it says hot on the side of it, right? You know that's because they they did have, I, I understand it have a really hot franchise, you know that 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 roasted the water and 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 it it could be considered to be dangerous, but. You know, at what point do we turn around and say, and, and a lot of now, of course, companies and organizations are trying to pl place the responsibility on the consumer to turn around and say, 
you know, you, you need to understand all the stuff behind it before you, you, you sign up to our service or you decide to put your data in our repository or whatever. No, I, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that, you know, keep it simple, stupid. I am stupid. I am simple. And I want to, to know that whenever I use a service, it's as safe as possible for me. I don't want to have to worry about all of the privacy stuff that goes on behind the scenes. It, it, you know, I just know, I, w I want to know that they're, they're being professional in looking after my data whenever I give it to them. Yeah, that's um, that's putting the actual emphasis of privacy or protection of the data, and all that word privacy, back on the, the service provider. Yeah, you, you look or, at the bank, you look at the banking service, and if you get defrauded, the banking through an authorised push payment fraud or whatever, the banks are responsible for paying you back. That's that, yeah. that that you know, and and so so where are we with the fact that that a lot of the telecoms industry are acting as channels and routes for our data backwards and forwards, and they seem to not understand. Well, they do. They just try and shy away from it because they don't want the the legal the legal and the financial risk of having to deal with it. You know, it's 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 just stunning that in fact now we're moving towards much more of a litigation uh, uh, environment where. People who've had their data breach, breached uh, by organisations who've not been reasonable, who've not put in place uh, the correct types of, of, uh, uh, of processes, uh, are, are actively now being pursued in class action suits. I just look, look at the look at the PSNI breach here in Northern Ireland. I, I live in Northern Ireland for your your readers, and 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 that that's going to amount to millions whenever the, the the police come back and turn around and say, well, it was your processes and your people that got this wrong, and my data was released, and it's put me in personal harm or, or risk of personal harm. A couple of things: banks, if you get defrauded, they'll pay you back. Correct. My experience. And I always say never do anecdotal, anecdotal evidence, but here we go. My experience is if I get defrauded, they'll pay me back. They won't pursue. They won't pursue the cyber criminal because it's cheaper to give me the money back than actually do the investigation. Yeah, the, the, now, well, the, that, that, that's right. They're, they're, not, they're, they're, they're taking a financial liability on themselves to turn around and pay you back. That's that's not the same as turning around and saying you're you're going to go after the criminals. But just just touch on the banks. There's got to be a tipping point, Bill, where there's so much money being scammed off us that the bank's got to say we've actually got to stop paying or giving giving Bill and Andrew the money back. We've actually got to put in some remedial or some proactive action to pursue the cyber criminals because. What, how much money do they put back for, um, um, for bad debt? I think it's 20%. What happens mm. when it gets to 19% and then it goes across to 21%? There's got to be a tipping point. On the PSNNI one, which is Police Service Northern Ireland, uh, where there is a, a lack of governance within the organisation that resulted in a few hundred police officers and support staff data being exposed. Now, you're saying will there be a class action against PSNI? Hopefully there is, but how long will that take? And then in the UK, I, you need to you need to get a litigation fund, which is nigh impossible. If you look at the class actions in the states, where the system's slightly different, there's class actions on class actions as well. They actually, is it uh, if you win a deal, you, you don't have to pay. Um, yep. They'll just take a, take a cutting off the um, cut the top from winning the class action. So, you know, if you look at the oh, bring up the post office fidgetsy stuff, 
I know that's a different scenario. That's about a software bug. That's taken years. That's taken yeah. years. So I, I don't think the UK's up for class actions. The EasyJet one, like the ICO, Information Commissioner's Office, didn't pursue the ICO investigation on EasyJet because they didn't have enough resource. But they had enough resource to do a data broken company or marketing company because they're sending out too many spam emails. So I think it's a different sort of scenario for the UK and the US. But definitely you're right. Yeah, the increase in class actions in the States is phenomenal. And the speciality of the lawyers on understanding cybersecurity, the implications and privacy and all the things that go around it. There's a lot more emphasis over there than over here. My experience of lawyers over here, they're still catching up and they're also slightly naive in a way they're approaching it as well, because as we know, some some of them ambulance chase, which of course I always think ambulance chasing is profiling. Yeah, it, it's, let me correct you to start with. There were 9,500 police officers and staff whose data was released in the Northern Ireland breach. Oh, it's only over right? 9,000. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, that's, a, that's a, a approximate. So let's, let's say approximate. So, so 9,500 plus individuals were put at risk by, by a process, set of process failures. So to be uh, specific about it, it was about a freedom of information request that came through and the report set, states, and it's an open report, that uh, that actually it was about the fact that uh, that freedom of off, uh, information going through the process, there were some glitches in an Excel spreadsheet that was taken out of a SAP system and columns were hidden, et cetera. And, and lo and behold, it went through the system and it was then released as a, as a spreadsheet rather than a PDF. If what had happened had been under proper governance, they would have done the, the correct things and it wouldn't have happened. So so the, there is a case there that says it was the process failure throughout the, the, the system and therefore the organization. I'm I can't I've got to be very careful, but I you know, making any legal statements, etc. But there there will be class action suits, I'm sure. But that, that's the that's the most extreme shocking example I've seen over the last two years, because that data released is a threat to life. You know, yes. In the wrong hands, it's a threat to life. But but you go back to you go back to the latest one that we've been discussing earlier on, the Connecticut College, and and the fact that whenever you look at statements that come out that say, well, it it may have been, you know, released. The PI may may have been released. It's all it's all that sort of that that uh, that statement which is shrouded in uh, ambiguity. And also, then it may, there's no evidence that suggests that the uh, that the data will have been has been used. That's, that's not the point. The, the data may well be used because it's sitting in a repository somewhere in the dark web or in the hands of people who've uh, uh, who've uh, captured the data. Um, so it's not a case of it hasn't been used to date. It, it may well have been. How do they know? And and if it's not used now, it may well be put into a uh, into what as, you, as we've talked about before online. That, you know, one of the largest data repositories that are now out there that you can use to effectively sanitize your your data in terms of the attack vectors with a with Mr. Nasty, the malicious guys who can use it to to hone down and spearfish you as an individual. Yeah, so when I posted that on LinkedIn, it's about a college that got compromised last year. Um, they took 10 months to announce it 
to the students and to the market post-SEC, so post-December the 15th. And the reason why I posted it was because I was struggling with the English within the article. <clears throat> and what we're seeing more and more from organisations is a legal response on it's not what you say, it's what you don't say. So the evidence, there is no evidence that any of the data has has caused harm. Um, and I didn't really expect that post to start such a barrage of results. Not only they took 10 months to announce the, the breach, they've got over 18,104 compromised accounts over 373 breaches it, it, that's but that's standard in universities yeah yeah it's it's it, it, it is it's it's uh, systemic failures now going back to privacy you know my son uh, is a specialist in uh, paid search and it's great having conversations with him because he'll tell me exactly how and what they know about individuals and how you're segmented and and you know he works business to consumer and it is stunning the amount of uh, of knowledge that organisations now have at you because data is out there. Now, that's some would turn around and say it breaches privacy, but actually it's legitimate and it's perfectly lawful. And uh, and it's being used to, uh, from his views, to provide you with a better journey because they're not sending you out a lot of irrelevant rubbish that, that you would otherwise not want. So if they can, if they can define you in a better way, by going onto your digital uh, footprint and pulling that in, they can give you a better service. Doesn't that sound attractive? You know, and and, and yet out there is all your data. And, you know, my my daughter. We were talking about it yesterday, and we would, and she was talking about the fact that she she is able to go in when she was at school and college. Whenever the girls had a boyfriend, she was able to go in in open source and check up on them just to find out their backgrounds. Now, it's a bit bit trolley, but, uh, you know, in terms of being a, 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 she wouldn't go after them or anything like that. But she can now quite quickly because she knows she doesn't have any specialist tools, but she knows how to to, to uh, mine the Internet to get the details on an individual or something specific. And it, it, it's it's relatively straightforward. And and we live in that environment now. So, you know, know whether know. you agree that data, you know, data privacy, privacy is dead, uh, which some people, you know, would in experts in the field would probably turn and say, no, it's not really. You can still be anonymous to a certain extent. If you're living a normal life, you probably can't be. Two things. Privacy is your fundamental right. <laughs> yeah. But I'm with you. It's dead. You saying about um, your your son, what he does. We received an email from a chap who's send, selling our competitions email. And as you say, all the competitions contacts are out there. He says, I'll read you the, uh, the email. It's, it's the fourth time he sent it to us, the fourth time we've deleted it. He says, hi, I hope this note finds you well. I had an endeavour to search you on the web and thought to check if you would be interested in acquiring an opt-in contact list from X company, one of the biggest cybersecurity companies that got our competition. We have a global reach and access to key decision makers, blah, 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 blah. But this is the information available. So it's either he's got it from someone within the organization. 
It said information available for each contact, contact person, title, email, contact number, company details, web, physical address, city, state, country, revenue, employee side, SIT code. It just goes on. Wow. You know, well, well, you know why are you surprised? Because, yeah, you, know, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I look at this and I go, why are you surprised? Because, I, yeah. you know, people, people contact me all the time to, to see whether, in fact, they can mine my black book, which is, you know, exactly the same as, as turning around and saying, excuse me, I've, I've managed with an insider I'm friendly with who's, who's either sold me or provided me with a database that they've been working on of contacts in the marketing or sales business or whatever. And, and it's, it's, you know, data is now easily accessible when you're in the business. So data loss prevention environments are struggling to keep up with the capability. And even if you do it and you know, you, you do a screen grabs and screen scraping and stuff like that, you can you can you can get that information if you're an employee and, and it can move. Now there is there is tightening up of the legislation to that will stop and, and my son is, is is relatively concerned about the fact that they won't be able to give you a better personalized journey because of the GDPR constraints and stuff like that coming in from the European Union, which and, and from the UK, for instance, which will stop them having access to more defined and, and uh, data that sits on, on you as an individual. But uh, he, they're, they're doing that and it is legitimate and uh, it's, it's benefiting the company and it's ben benefiting the, the client. You know, the last thing you want to do is to end up going to an event or to a, a place that's closed or whatever, uh, whenever uh, that you can be given better personalized data because they know about you and your likes and dislikes. And, and, and that, now that's, that's, that's a, is it a breach of privacy? Well, it is if you object to it. But, yeah. you know, when, when all the GDPR rules as well, a bit contentious, but the GDPR rules have put putting uh, uh, requirements and compliance requirements onto legitimate businesses who will legitimately comply and have lawyers and teams. Yeah, the criminal, he doesn't care about GDPR as no. far as they're concerned. You know, they can they can sell and move and, and data all around the place. So you get this reassurance that something's happening across Europe and the UK in terms of privacy, but actually the criminals and the people who are working in the, uh, in the black market of, uh, on data uh, don't care. They don't give a damn. They're getting and money it, for it. And then it's understanding what the governments have to do, like the National Cyber Security Centre, have to have a description uh, for the public on if this sort of data is found out within the dark web and sold, these are the implications or this is the impact, but this is what you should do in order to reduce your risk. Well, yeah, it, that comes, that from, it comes from it comes from two different directions. It comes from, you know, what do you do if it's been breached, breached or whatever? So it's almost like three different directions. The worst one is what happens if it's been breached. And there, the National Cyber Security Centre says what it does on the tin. It's cyber security. It's sitting yeah, out there. Yeah. The, the, the second one is how do you prevent that? How do yeah. you, how do you, yeah. how do you, what actions do you take in terms of not posting on social media, going on a holiday, so so that people don't break into your house? Uh, and the, the the third bit is the the strength that's now coming in or should be coming in. I'm not sure whether they'll have the 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 the, uh, the strength to do it, but you know the Online Safety Act 
which where we've got Ofcom as a regulator, uh, what 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 rules and regulations and compliance regimes are they going to place on the likes of the the, the metas of this world, the, the telecommunications industry, all the, all of those things, which you know from an online safety perspective t- seems to be focused primarily. It dr- was driven by sexual exploitation of children and what have you, but there's a large proportion in there now built in, thankfully after the debates in the Houses of Parliament, on the two Houses, on fraud. So they do now have legal com- compliance capability if they decide that they want to use it. And, you know, behind behind the uh, the, the act, the legal, the, the pr- primary legislation, comes secondary legislation and hopefully uh, uh, statutes and, uh, and compliance regimes. But it's only good if it's got teeth and it's only good if there's actually some visible examples of people that are not protecting your data are taken to court. And that's 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 not happening. Yeah, really. Yeah, I think we 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 end up turning around and, and I, as I say, I use analogies a lot of the time, but, you know, this digital environment is is relatively young. It's not that young, but it's still relatively young. And and immature and you know the highway code and the the traffic legislation and the rules around the road and uh, that that's been around for decades if not hundreds of years and 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 it's matured into the the way things are governed uh, with still not doing that we've we've got it's it's almost out of sight out of mind it's all bleeps and squeaks and ones and noughts flashing around an internet that we can't even see uh, and and it you know sort of sits in the back of our mind that well, are we safe? Are we not safe? I don't know. I'm too old. I'll actually fail the written test on the um, driving test these days because it's. Oh, we're um, gonna. Yeah, you can, once you get a certain age, you have to retake it. Do you? <laughs> I don't know. You've got to be careful, uh, Andrew. I'm going to wrap this up soon, but it's two 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 points I want to make. Um, um, in California, um, I think it's becoming federal law. I know Jennifer Saunders, an attorney uh, who, who I talk to quite often, she might correct me, is that they, they're creating a federal portal where you can put your name in, Bill McCluggage, and ask all the data brokers to take off your data. Yeah. But by the time you're taking off your data, you'll end up in another data broker's um, uh, pool, and then you'll have to ask it a week later. Um, There's some really interesting stuff going on around right to be forgotten. And particularly yeah. whenever you get into AI and and you know large language models, where if 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 you if you are forgotten, if you decide you want to act uh, and a number of people act to to be forgotten, how is that going to alter the large language model and the outcomes and the the responses from the prompts and and d- data training and what have you? So so you know and how do you forget? How do you get the metadata through the system? To take to strip you out of some of the large language models where you have it's been you've percolated all the way through the system and you're now sitting as a data point in a large language model. And it, it, it's mind-bogglingly complex for for a layman like me, and I'm a layman, aren't I? Really, in, in AI, but you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but AI is just a, an algorithm uh, with a bigger processing engine, which allows you to um, manipulate and aggregate the data more. Yeah, it's, but uh, it, it's, it makes it makes data more public, more more more, uh, more accessible, and it also makes the algorithmic processing of that data more accessible. But but it's it's the it's the tools like Bard and ChatGPT just brought AI into the frame. Um, uh, we've lost sight of zero trust. The marketing people have just gone bounzoid on AI. 
but we had AI last year, but they're just thinking, well, actually, it's, we're it, it, we, we had AI, and, uh, you know, when I was in open banking, we brought an AI engine in. It was more a machine learning engine, but it was AI engine to do anomaly detection. Now, that was four years ago, so it's not as if it, it's new boy on the block territory. This is it, It's just because open uh, AI and stuff has come to the fore in the last year. But, you know, there are, it's very quick for the negative people to be able to go in and say, right, if your data is in a large language model that's accessible, you know, evil GPT and a worm GPT and a whole series of nasty GPTs that are coming out now are, 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 be, are, are be, being tuned to be able to go look for specific characteristics. So, so you know, just, just think of the cybersecurity, uh, uh, the hacker element, they're deploying that. So they'll have a massive spreadsheet, they'll get an engine, and then they'll start um, either uh, analysing Bill McCluggish, getting all his credentials, can't yeah. take over, focusing on all the access points he has, or they'll do massive brute force attacks. And all they need is one in a million to tap that button. Well, I, th I think you've, you've, you've got to you've got to alter your perception about uh, you know brute force attacks across tens of thousands, if not millions, of accounts. The, nowadays, we we're entering the territory where the, it can be instead of a one to you know millions. many many to one to millions, it's one to one, and yeah. and that can be done exceptionally rapidly. So it'll be almost like a scanning engine going across, turning around mm. and saying, right, we've got yeah. now the capability to do this, and so it. Not terrifies me, but you know, it, 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 we are entering into a new epoch of uh, of uh, uh, of the the era of AI. Well, on that positive note, I'm going to come to my question. So um, yeah, go on, hit me with a um, rugby question. It was that I would only had asked it. I didn't know what question I was going to ask after that. I was watching the England Wales game and got to the 72 minutes, and I thought, oh yeah, England taking the lead now. Now I can ask the rugby question for Bill. So. This is the question. Who came third in the World Cup behind South Africa and New Zealand? Uh, I would say <laughs> I would. <laughs> I, I, I have not got a clue. It's, of course it's, you don't. Yeah, of course you don't. Yes. Oh, you guys got knocked out in the quarterfinals, didn't you? That's why. So, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I was at Ireland match yesterday, which was great in Dublin, and uh, it was uh, a, a win against Italy, which was uh, it's a good win for Ireland. I'm an Ireland supporter, so even though I have a, a strange accent for being Irish, but uh, you know, it's uh, it's I, I do follow it, and uh, certainly now when you look at it, it's it's it, what, my question back to you is why is why is rugby such a gentlemanly uh, spectator sport compared to football in in, in England? I don't know. It's um, I don't know. Maybe they get rid of all the aggression on the uh, pitch. On the pitch, yeah. So, yeah. so you watch it. You're watching gladiators yeah. or something but like that performing on the pitch. It's a and different you know. cultural thing, isn't it? It's a different tribal thing. Going to watch the team down in Cornwall's pretty, pretty good. It's a lot yeah. of you know not, but they still get that. Don't get that tribal. I, what you approach. what you failed to come back to me on it that I, you know I generalised. And therefore, from from a from a, a a specific on privacy, getting back to the original uh, discussion point, you know, there, there's a huge amount of generalisation goes on around privacy, and we we've got to be very much more challenged and challenging in terms of 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 defining what it is we need to do to ensure there's an adequate level of privacy for people who need it. Or we just get rid of privacy, and then we say, all right, right, this we have no privacy. 
I'll just I'll work with the organisation signed up to. I understand what the T's and C's are and I'll manage my own privacy oh, well, with the organisation. I will step up and why spend all this money on all this technology to protect myself? Well, there's so many different vulnerabilities out there which should not help me out. I will step up and um, so the companies can make millions of pounds of savings by not deploying all this technology to protect the data and we all accept privacy is dead. Well, I, I tend towards that, but I'm going to come back on that and turn around and say, if you believe your personal data is an asset and a valuable asset, then you should be looking after and the people you give it to should be looking after it in the same way as they look after your cash or your your investments. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm working with a small company that is uh, sort of putting together an offering that allows you to define what is green data which is easily uh, re- uh, deployable across uh, open uh, environments. Amber data, which is a little bit more sensitive, and then red data you don't want to share, and it, it actually is only being shared with specific trusted uh, environments. And and finally, just to end it on a, a positive note, I think you know zero trust is fantastic. We tend to be talking about it from a technology perspective. Do people yeah. really know what zero yeah. trust is? Well, actually, zero trust is also in processes and uh, you know do I trust you in terms of an individual and trust is earned and built it's not something that you just build into a system and it'll work thanks for that Bill that's a cracking point to make at the end on that note I'd like to thank Bill for his time Bill's been a great uh, guest don't forget to look out for him on um, Radio Cracker Bill McClubbage um, from uh, is it Ballymena? Artisan? Yeah, Ballymena here in County Antrim. <laughs> and I would, uh, I put my radio voice, the, the, you know, I'm also on Radio Larn. Radio Larn, East Antrim's best music station. Cheerio. Good night.